Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. A frequent theme of late on the podcast has been global unrest, with millions upon millions taking to streets around the world over living conditions and equality, from Hong Kong to Chile and Lebanon and Iraq. Iranians have also joined in that global chorus, with a protest initially sparked by a sudden rise in gas prices, which soon turned into demonstrations against the government as a whole. Tehran has responded much like Baghdad, with brutal suppression of the protesters. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the situation is Ali Reza Nader, a senior fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Ali, good to have you back on the crisis next door. Thanks for having me. We just saw an alert come down from the U.S. State Department saying that over 1,000 protesters have been killed. This after Amnesty International said as of Monday, over 200 protesters had been killed. How hard is it to get accurate reports on casualties and, and what have you been hearing? The regime in Iran has tried to make it very difficult to get information from the country. Uh, I believe that the regime was prepared for unrest following the gas price hike. Uh, and that was just a trigger. Uh, there is uh, widespread dis- discontent in Iran over many issues. Uh, but the regime wanted to black out the country and prevent information from getting out. Uh, but videos have emerged from Iran, uh, shot by ordinary citizens and human rights activists as well, showing that the Islamic Republic uh, resorted to mass violence against unarmed civilian protesters. Uh, and the scale of these crimes uh, are coming to light slowly. Uh, the State Department has stated uh, before that it had received 20,000 tips. And a number of uh, human rights organizations and think tanks and analysts are also keeping track of what's going on. So the world is watching the Khamenei regime. The world knows about the atrocities taking place in Iran. Seeing a lot of horrific pictures coming out of Iran, just like you, uh, being put out on Twitter and elsewhere on social media, this is a very difficult thing for these activists to do. Uh, Not only did Tehran for a while shut down the Internet, but there are recriminations against any activist who who does this. Uh, how big of a chance are these people taking in trying to get this word out there? They're incredibly brave. Uh, I'll give you an example. A young protester named Priya Bakhtiari was killed by the regime. He was just protesting and was on the phone with his mom, and he was shot and killed. And his parents have been very outspoken on his death at the hands of the regime, knowing that uh, they could uh, suffer severe consequences, but they've spoken publicly to activists like Masi Ali Najad. Uh, they've done interviews with the BBC. 
just today, the father of Puya Bakhtiari, thanked Reza Pahlavi, uh, the crown prince, uh, for calling him and expressing condolences. These uh, people like uh, the Bakhtiaris are taking immense risk to themselves. But uh, this is the point uh, Iran has come to. Uh, Iranians are so much under pressure and there's so much repression by the Khamenei regime that they have no other choice but to go out into the streets and protest. Uh, they see this regime as not being able to ever reform. And a lot of Iranians are at this point uh, are brave enough to make these personal sacrifices to change their country. We've seen reports that family members of victims have been warned to not only talk with media or hold funerals. Uh, do you think that this is an effective tactic by the Rouhani administration to prevent a, a bigger demonstration from taking place? The uh, Rouhani administration's involvement in uh, the mass slaughter in Iran and shutting the Internet is not going to calm the situation for the regime. The regime, and when I say the regime, I mean everybody in it, uh, whether it's Khamenei or Rouhani or so-called reformists uh, like Mir Hossein Mousavi, uh, who's under house arrest. Uh, Iranians hold these people accountable for their actions. Uh, people might be afraid to take action for the next few days in mass because of what's happened, but uh, the regime has created uh, hundreds of thousands, of, not, if not millions of enemies by slaughtering innocent people. Uh, it will anger uh, their families and friends. Uh, what the regime is doing is un-Islamic. It is not respecting uh, basic human uh, dignity. And I believe uh, the regime, including Rouhani, are going to pay a price because Iranians will never forget this. And they will want to hold them accountable. The Green Movement in 2009 lasted for months and resulted in an estimated 72 killed right around there. Why the precipitous rise this time around? This is very different than what happened in 2009. In 2009, uh, Iranians were contesting a presidential election. Uh, they believed that uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad had been reelected uh, fraudulently. Uh, and there was a lot of anti-regime sentiment um, 10 years ago in 2009. But the reformist leadership, people like Musavi and Mehdi Karoubi, who's also under house arrest, uh, were not really interested in challenging the regime uh, because they believe in reforming it. Uh, something that the last 20 years has shown to be a complete fantasy. Uh, this time around... Uh, Iranians don't believe in reforms. They do not believe that this regime that shoots people in the head and heart uh, by the orders of Khamenei can be reformed. Uh, Iranians are awake to reality. Uh, and ultimately, I think a movement will emerge that will seek uh, to overthrow the Islamic Republic. Uh, it has been gathering esteem since the 2017 uprising and protests, uh, which were which took place in um, mostly smaller cities. This time around, we've seen uh, massive protests everywhere in Iran. Uh, so uh, qualitatively and quantitatively, uh, what's happening right now is very different. 
are there, than what we saw 10 years ago. I'm sorry. Are there particular demographics making up the current protest movement, or is it widespread covering all demographics? It's covering all demographics, uh, but from evidence that's emerging from Iran, it looks like a lot of the areas that have experienced unrest uh, tend to be lower income, uh, in, you know, internal migrants. So a lot of Tehran satellite cities uh, revolted. Uh, areas that are experiencing massive water shortages uh, because of the regime's policies. So, uh, for example, Shiraz in the south was the center, really the epicenter of this revolt uh, with Shiraz uh, trying to actually occupy the city, uh, which was met with uh, mass violence. Uh, so the demographics suggest that those suffering the most are coming into the streets. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, everybody in Iran um, is dissatisfied except the regime elite. And in some ways, the regime elite even, because wealth in Iran is very highly con- concentrated and there's virtually no middle class left. So. The regime has managed to steer itself into a situation in which you're either with the regime or the people, and the regime is resorting to terror and violence to maintain power. It has uh, lost legitimacy completely. So I believe we will see uh, major protests and unrest uh, uh, eventually in wealthier cities like Tehran and Tabriz as well. How do these protests compare to the revolution 40 years ago in terms of size and scope? There are some similarities. Uh, For example, uh, during the revolution, uh, the revolutionary mobs set fire to banks and government buildings and tried to storm uh, police stations. Uh, This time around, there's been uh, a lot of damage done to banks. There have been reports of hundreds of uh, banks and ATMs being attacked, as well as gas stations, regime offices, seminaries. Evidence has also emerged that the regime has been faking some of these attacks and trying to blame the protesters in order to incite violence. But I don't think we're at a point uh, in which we can make a very direct comparison between 2019 and uh, 1979. Uh, we're not at that stage yet, anyhow. Um, this is a um, very brutal regime. It's well-organized. It has indoctrinated a good portion of the population. It's heavily armed, and it still has resources. Uh, I would not underestimate uh, this regime's willingness and ability to use force uh, to stay uh, and power at all costs. And uh, this is not r- just uh, alone in Iran. You know, we see the regime, for example, shipping ballistic missiles to Yemen and Iraq as it's facing major unrest. Another sign that this re- regime will not change its behavior or reform, but rather sees the use of force as uh, the m- main means of its survival, really. 
You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about Iran's deadly crackdown on its demonstrations with Ali Reza Nader, a senior fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Do you think that because of these protests, it possibly makes Tehran even more dangerous to other countries in the region because it may feel it has to do something externally in order to yeah. win support back of the population? Yes, exactly. Uh, the Khamenei regime right now uh, views aggression as an appropriate response to what's happening within Iran and in terms of U.S. policy. Uh, it has targeted uh, U.S. forces in the past for the last 40 years, uh, directly and indirectly through proxies. And it has shown, uh, with the attack on the Saudi oil installations recently, uh, that is really willing to up the ante. Uh, and so that's why we see the United States send um, additional, or is considering sending additional military forces to the region in order to deter the regime, uh, because this regime is highly likely to lash out. You mentioned the attack on the Saudi oil facilities in September. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Iran unquestionably sponsored the strike and called it an act of war. Yet the U.S. has held back from hitting Iran. Is this a case of neither country being certain of the other's red lines? It's always hard to figure out red lines with the Islamic Republic, especially the Revolutionary Guards. Uh, they're really uh, willing to push those lines. Uh, what we have to consider is the overall U.S. strategy is one of maximum pressure, to pressure the regime through sanctions, uh, public diplomacy, engagement with the Iranian people, support for democratic forces, uh, providing free Internet. Uh, so I think when we look at maximum pressure, we have to think, uh, when is it an appropriate time to undertake military action as U.S. maximum pressure is working. Uh, because I, I do believe this regime wants to entrap the United States into an armed conflict in order to escape its existential crisis. Uh, and to me, beefing up U.S. troops in the region makes a lot of sense. And increasing pressure on this regime uh, is really the best recourse for the United States, not just through sanctions alone, but support for the democratic movement in Iran, uh, support for the aspirations of the Iranian people, uh, direct engagement with the opposition. Uh, th those are very important things the United States can do at this point uh, as it tries to deter the regime militarily. President Trump has expressed support for the protesters, calling the country unstable. Do you think he's doing enough materially in order to support the protesters with more than just words? How can the U.S. actually do that inside of Iran? The first, I think, place to start is to provide greater support to opposition groups, democratic opposition groups, uh, combating this regime. And I think the administration has done a good job um, in providing uh, financing to various groups, uh, uh, running Persian language uh, media like Radio Farda. Uh, you know, there can be some improvement made in Persian language broadcasting, uh, but that an investment has been made. I think what counts for Iranians are statements from the president uh, 
and other senior officials. And Iranians do not care who it comes from, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. They just want to be heard. Uh, and finally, figuring out a way to prevent the regime uh, from cutting off the Internet and uh, trying to kill people in mass. Uh, believing that it can hide that from the world. Uh, and finally, you know, I mean, there are lots of things the U.S. can do. Keep track of mass atrocities so um, regime officials can be held accountable. But I think attention to the problem really matters. One thing that has really disappointed uh, me as an analyst is, uh, you know, very poor media attention to the matter. Uh, I I, I know that the media is very focused on domestic issues in the United States, but uh, we're looking really at world events that have a very huge bearing on U.S. national security and American interests. And I think uh, the private sector, human rights organization, and the media can do a much better job in highlighting this. Do you get a sense that Iranians have hope? that there can be external allies that help bring down the Islamic Republic? Or is there a sense of hopelessness that they're on their own, that there, there is no cavalry coming to rescue them? No one is going to come on a white horse to rescue Iranians. And recent days have shown that, that they're very willing to take matters into their own hands. And ultimately... Only Iranians within Iran and also the Iranian diaspora can change Iran. I think the diaspora has a very important role to play in all of this. Uh, but I think the United States also has a moral and strategic imperative in helping Iranians. Uh, when you see your neighbor's house on fire, you don't ignore it. And uh, this is a regime that has fought U.S. interests for 40 years very consistently, and it is being rejected by the Iranian people. So doesn't it make sense for the United States to back them in this crucial time? When you look at the protests, how hard is it for organization, given the government's crackdown, the internet blackout? Are there leaders? Is it possible to organize these protests into something that, that can actually challenge the Islamic Republic on even footing? The Islamic Republic is one of the most repressive police states on earth. Uh, and it, it is really good at instilling terror in the population. Uh, but I also think Iranians have come to a point uh, where the wall of fear has been broken. Um, that despite facing um, death and injury and torture and imprisonment, they're willing to uh, risk their lives. Is there hopelessness in Iran? I think what I see now is uh, bravery and resistance and um, challenging of the regime. Uh, you know, a lot of Iranians might be hopeless that things will not change for the better in the immediate future, but that doesn't mean that at some point many Iranians will be willing to take action because when we look at the history of police states and dictatorships, uh, all of them have a lifespan, um, from the Soviet Union to communism in Eastern Europe, uh, apartheid in South Africa. Uh, police states cannot use terror uh, and force indefinitely to maintain power. They must have legitimacy, and the regime has no legitimacy within Iran. Uh, 
and very uh, low legitimacy in their national community. Unfortunately, uh, the Europeans have thrown a lifeline to the regime. They still want to trade and invest with the regime. And uh, the regime is very keen to maintain, maintain that relationship. You can tell from the foreign minister's statements trying to pressure Europe. Uh, I, I believe that the United States on the, is in, in the right direction on the issue of Iran, uh, but the Europeans uh, are pretending that nothing is really happening in Iran. You can look at the statements they're making. Their ambassadors in Iran are pushing instex uh, at a, a you know very horrible time for the Iranian people. Uh, that link that the European Union is providing to the regime is crucial, and I hope the Europeans re- reconsider their policies because um, they're not meeting their strategic interests. Ali, without that global consensus, at the moment at least, how long do you think the current protests can last, and what would it take for an even bigger mobilization of the population to take to the streets against the government? More unrest and protests could be triggered by anything, uh, whether it's economic in nature or social. Uh, for example, um, much of the rebel- rebellion against Islamic Republic is being fueled by, and led even, by Iranian uh, women who are trying to get their rights back. Uh, the anti-compulsory hijab movement in Iran has been effective. Um, so ultimately, I do not believe the regime will be able to maintain stability because of the various grievances held by the Iranian people, which are not economic in nature alone. Uh, And uh, looking at the regime's reaction in the last month, both to the protests and the aftermath, it's very obvious the regime is frightened of being overthrown. Uh, The so-called reformist leader, former President Khatami, uh, stated that he believed the protesters were trying to overthrow the regime, and that's why they must be crushed. And he has backed the use of force. And keep in mind, this was supposed to be uh, the West's interlocutor and the face of reform in Iran. Um, the, the regime has chosen, all factions of the regime and all its leaders have chosen to respond to the current unrest with violence, and it will only fuel resistance from the Iranian people. And we are seeing the terrifying results of that clampdown. But at the same time, as you mentioned, witnessing the incredible bravery of the Iranian people. Ali, thank you so much for joining me again here on The thank Crisis Next Door. Thank you for covering Iran. We've been joined by Ali Reza Nader, a senior fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 